0: Ooh, 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 this week on the undoing.:
1: We pick up where we left off, Grace Fraser failing to locate her husband Jonathan Fraser at any of the Cleveland hotels. She's clearly on edge, jumping when her son Henry later enters her bedroom and catching glimpses of Elena's face in the bathroom mirror. While trying to sleep, Grace anxiously envisions young Miguel Alves discovering his mother's gruesome remains. The next morning, Grace and Henry arrive at Reardon to find a commotion in the drop-off line. The mothers are frenzied, one going out of her way to ask Grace for three therapy tips on navigating her second-grader's first school murder. Another bitchy woman announces Elena's husband has turned himself into the police, giving Sylvia yet another chance to repeat, It's always the husband. After an intense session with the gay couple from the previous episode, Grace visits Price Memorial Hospital to ask Jonathan's colleague, Stuart, about her husband's whereabouts, only to learn that there is no pediatric oncology conference in Cleveland. Grace pushes him for more, but Stuart backs off, citing strict terms. Stunned, Grace slips into another flashback fantasy of Jonathan's heartwarming bedside manner. That evening, while spending time in her father's absolute unit of an apartment, Detective Joe Mendoza arrives to take Grace downtown for some questioning. Though she confidently refuses a lawyer, Grace looks visibly nervous in the precinct's interrogation room. Mendoza wants to know where Jonathan is, and Grace is like, yeah, me too, man, but Mendoza isn't playing. He thinks Grace is hiding Jonathan because his cell phone pinged from their apartment. When Grace persists with her ignorance, Mendoza enlightens her. Turns out, the good doctor hasn't worked at the hospital in three months. Jonathan was fired after three disciplinary hearings. Despite Grace's protestations of doctor-patient confidality, Mendoza then drops the hammer. The reason for Jonathan's firing? Inappropriate contact with the mother of a patient. The name of that patient? Miguel Alves. Grace spirals. She has rapid frame fantasies of Jonathan hugging and kissing Elena. She ransacks Jonathan's possessions and discovers a silk scarf in his jacket pocket and a bottle of perfume ostensibly belonging to Elena. The next morning at Reardon, the news is broken of Jonathan's involvement in Elena's murder, and the principal straight up tells Grace not to show her face around these parts anymore. Luckily, Sylvia swoops in with a town car and some answers. She informs Grace that Elena's husband has an alibi for the night of the murder, making Jonathan the prime suspect. Sylvia also breaks attorney-client privilege to tell Grace that Jonathan hired her as his lawyer for the hospital's misconduct investigation, though he told Sylvia the charges were ultimately dropped. Traumatized and breaking down, Grace returns home only to find the NYPD conducting a full-on search of her apartment. Mendoza is there to drop one last bombshell. Elena Alvarez's husband has requested a paternity test, claiming he is not the father of their baby. Grace flees from her home while having increasingly intense flashback fantasies of Elena's naked body and bludgeoning her to death. On her father's urging, she retreats to another million-dollar home, this one on some remote stretch of New England coastline. Still, Grace is jumpy. She keeps imagining Jonathan. But when things go bump in the night and Grace goes to investigate, Jonathan actually appears. With his hand clamped over Grace's mouth, he requests two minutes of her time to explain. He then confesses his affair with Elena, arranging for Miguel to get into Reardon, and Elena's obsession with him, his life, and ultimately Grace. After Elena joined the auction committee and Grace's gym, Jonathan panicked. He confronted Elena after the auction, banged her, went for a cheeky pint to cool down, and returned to find Elena's dead body. Henry interrupts before the Jonathan can say more, and Grace uses the opportunity to call 901 and report him.
0: And with that, we're back with Big Little Podcast, episode two of The Undoing. As always, I'm Teresa, and I'm a Jane slash Bonnie.
2: I'm Carolyn, and I'm a Madeline slash Renata.
0: And I'm Rebecca, and I'm a Jane slash Madeline. All right, guys, I think we just have to jump into Jonathan and all his many lies. I don't even know where where to begin, I suppose. Let's start with the fact that he hasn't worked in three months. Um, did this surprise you guys at all? Yes. Everything <laughs> about this surprised
1: me. And I kept thinking, like, that's got to be it. Like, this is going to be enough shock for one episode. But no, the hits just kept coming.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, um, weird little doctor that she, like, accosts in the, in the lobby of the hospital who doesn't want to tell her anything and just kind of scurries away. I, I was really wondering, like, like, th- that sort of clued me in, like, something more is going on here. He probably doesn't work here anymore, but, yep. like, you know, it just kept coming.
2: Yeah, at that moment, I definitely had figured out, um, that he had been fired from the hospital. Just from the the way that that squirrely little doctor man said, "I can't talk about this." There are he he used some sort of legal term, and I was like, "Oh shit, that guy was fired." Um, I I didn't see it coming though necessarily that it was involving Elena. That that was a that was still an exciting twist for me.
0: Yeah. So like the other thing is that I I was thinking about this and. Suddenly, all Elena's weirdness kind of makes marginally more sense. Like the way she was sort of like, you know, aggressively breastfeeding this baby and just marching around naked. It was like, look at me, look at me. Yep. Not towards... like,
1: I want to have sex with you, Grace, but like, mm-hmm. I've been banging your husband, Grace, and look at my like perfect body and my perfect boobs. Yeah. That made a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay.
2: Yeah, this episode had a lot of things that, like, helped other things that I was concerned about from the last episode make sense. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, starting there at the end when he says she joined your gym, she wanted to get her right. son into Reardon. I was like, oh, well, that solves the gym mystery um, mm-hmm. <laughs> that we were very concerned about. <laughs>
0: um, like, you can't be spending that much money on a gym membership, Elena. Like, get back to, like, the YMCA.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, also, the the weird sex scene that they had, uh, that they being mm-hmm. Grace and Jonathan. Yep. Um, And we were trying to figure out if that was some sort of, you know, memory or drunken fever dream or something. It kind of made more sense now in the context of the fact that he stumbled home after his, you know, big night of going to expensive benefits banging a Mm -hmm. girl getting a beer and then finding that girl that girl dead so that made sense uh i I just felt like a lot of things there were a lot of questions answered here um Mm -hmm. that now going into the next episode uh there i i feel like i have a better footing but i still have no fucking clue what's going to happen other than i am convinced that this is called the undoing because nicole kidman's character grace is just going to become a destroyed human in this
0: well so here's the thing is like i, I think grace is still suspicious as fuck right like so um Big time. yeah clearly we've been set up to think jonathan did this but that seems like too simple of an answer even though i think it might be even more just as simple of an answer to think that grace did it but Mm -hmm. um you know we keep seeing her have these what look like flashbacks to elena getting her head smashed in
1: so the big note that i kept writing over and over and this is the question of the episode is what are we seeing with these flashbacks is this fantasy Mm -hmm. or is this a flashback because a lot of the things that she's having these flashbacks to are things that she couldn't possibly have seen Such as Miguel Alves discovering his mother. So that to me was very much Mm -hmm. a fantasy and I can again see how the show is kind of working to mimic the mind. So your mind is you know when she thinks that he's had this affair or she's creating what that might look like. But then I'm also like every time she envisions Elena's body it's the same image. It's not like she's seeing different scenarios and she's not Mm -hmm. been to the crime scene as far as we know. So that to me seems like a flashback. She's seeing the same thing over and over. And the perspective of bludgeoning her, I was like, that's a stretch, I think, for someone to imagine doing to her, you know, not from that perspective. If you were innocent of it, you
0: Mm -hmm. might see
1: yourself watching it from the corner of the room or something, but to imagine doing it yourself, even with all the rage she has built up about the revelations that this woman's had an affair with her husband, I just feel like the show is giving us both, both flashbacks intertwined with these fantasy realities. And more and more, especially because they kept sort of insinuating that she was suffering from either delusions or at least tinnitus, tinnitus, however you say that word. Like Mm -hmm. she kept having that sort of like grasshoppery sound in her ears when she was getting stressed out. And I just felt like there was a lot in this episode that was leading us to believe that she had some sort of, well, either had or was having some sort of psychotic break.
2: Oh, for sure, yeah. Um, And I think that the relationship between her and her father you can sense there's like a tension. Uh, he, it, it feels. I mean, any parent is concerned, and you know, would be trying to help guide their child. But they're they're in that first initial scene with them when she um, goes to his apartment, and they are sitting there. The way he is talking to her, to to me, there 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 was a sense of uh, kind of this bizarre relationship in that um he he almost feels like she is sort of out of control uh, I feel
1: that way with the son too, right? Like yeah. he was being this rational, like calm figure for oh, her, yeah, and she was like sure. all jumpy around him and was interrogating him in a way that I thought was really inappropriate. I'm like, why would you talk to your little kid like this and freak him out more than he already is? But he was really like used to that role of comforting her when she has her little freak out in the beach house later. He's very composed about the whole thing, so I felt like both of those relationships we were kind of getting in parallel the the mm-hmm. father and the son and both kind of were treating her with this. Nervousness, yeah,
2: which led me to believe that maybe this is not the first time that right. she has been right. going through things like this. And uh, you know, it's it's funny, Rebecca, you mentioned that that noise that she kind of hears, and and when she's being uh, interrogated by uh, Detective Sexy and and his lumpy partner, <laughs>
1: That's Um forever his name now. <laughs>
2: so when she's being interrogated there are moments where it's like you're not sure if she said it and then she says it out loud or did she Mm -hmm, say it mm -hmm. twice right and and she's sort of like rocking it was very much a a mad scene like a very uh you know she did not seem in control of herself at all and then I was wondering if it was supposed to be an out-of-body experience like sometimes when you get bad news you're sort of discombobulated like that but yes there was I think the show does a
1: great job of showing that but I also think it's showing that she's seen things that aren't there like there's that really strange cut shot when she's leaving the precinct after she's found all this out and it's an aerial shot of her walking into a park and then you see her standing before this advertisement Mm -hmm. on a pillar of naked Elena And then it again switches to this aerial view and that pillar is nowhere to be seen. Mm -hmm. So that was a very strange, like they haven't really used an overhead shot like that before. So it immediately made me feel like there was something to pay attention to here. And then that made the jump scare at the end all the better because when she catches that glimpse of Jonathan on the beach, at that point I'm like, oh, she's hallucinating again. So when he showed up at the end, Mm -hmm. I jumped. I was like, I can't believe he's here right now. Because I was so convinced that all of this stuff that she was seeing on the periphery, like when she sees Elena's face in the mirror, this is all just visual hallucinations.
2: I was less shocked with the Jonathan thing because there was that shot when she and Henry were having dinner and there's like a figure upstairs and there he's watching. I was like, oh, Jonathan is in the house. Unless it's, unless it was like a ghost story, you know what I mean. Like unless he was dead mm-hmm. and his ghost was watching. But the whole episode, everything's
1: through her point of view. So I'm thinking that when she's catch like that glimpse, is her brain concocting right. that because she's all nervous.
2: Um, this whole episode had kind of uh, a very Alfred Hitchcock vibe yeah. to it, with all of the the way it was filmed with the close ups of eyes mm-hmm. and. Um, these these cut to shots and this reality versus not and the the way the music was suspenseful, um, yep. in this episode in particular, I definitely picked up on that Hitchcock vibe and and kind of some of the swirling spiral shots that make you feel dizzy and 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 yep. and
1: vertigo. Yep. Yeah. Uh
2: huh. So I I thought it's that doing was... a
1: lovely job of mirroring anxiety. Like that feeling of when your ears are ringing and your heart's pounding and you're not sure if you're talking or not, or Uh you're just, I mean, I think it's the way that it's filmed is one of the biggest strengths of the show so far is that it's really putting you in her crazy state where she's just worked into this frenzy because the ground, you can feel the ground falling out from beneath her.
2: Right. And that sense of being watched, how a Mm -hmm. lot of shots in this episode were of somebody kind of watching from the shadows. Yeah, the cameras
1: in the interrogation room, they kept Mm -hmm. going to that shot from the perspective of the camera.
2: Um, Yeah, I I, I for sure was enjoying how this episode was shot um, and and what that did to the storyline. I thought it was really, really effective. Um, At the same time, though, I kept getting these vibes as I was trying to piece together what was happening through the episode. Did you guys ever see that movie, uh, What Lies Beneath, with Michelle Pfeiffer and Harrison Ford? Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's such a good thriller, um, but I was getting like distinct vibes. Basically, uh, what lies <laughs> beneath is Harrison Ford and Michelle Pfeiffer, husband and wife, and they seem to have this amazing, happy, wonderful, we're both sexy relationship. Um, and Michelle Pfeiffer begins to hear and see things. And uh, at first she thinks it's, she She begins to believe that it's a ghost and at first she thinks it's like the ghost of something else, and then it becomes clear uh, that the ghost is something involved to her husband with her husband. And oh, wow. it's really good. Uh, and and this episode reminded me of that movie in a lot of ways. And if anyone has seen that movie and then seen this episode, they'll get that reference. Um, it had a very similar vibe of this. Is she? insane and just imagining these things or did this happen to her and uh the relationship with the husband there are a lot of similarities with an affair and things like that so um if you haven't seen that movie I'm gonna go ahead and throw a recommendation in early here and say see that um because it's (laughs) very premature
1: recommendation
2: yeah (laughs) Jonathan
1: can see you for that
2: yes (laughs) um so I but I I definitely enjoyed the the, the the way that this was all built up to make her untrustworthy and yeah. unreliable as a narrator here.
0: Listening to you guys talk about this is kind of making me, like, understand this episode a little bit better. Because when I was trying to, like, write our little script for for the podcast, I was like, so much of this episode was grace just like walking around Mm -hmm. or staring into the distance that there's even though there's we learned a lot it feels it felt like there wasn't a lot to talk about but now i'm sort of getting it that like it was more about creating the feeling than actually necessarily moving the plot along Although I think it it moved along very quickly. But like I said, I
2: think that a lot of questions that we needed to get some Mm -hmm. answers to to maintain interest in the plot were definitely secured. We we definitely secured some answers. But again, on the the same track of what lies beneath, the the thing that has me that I am questioning the most now as we approach episode three is, did Grace know all along about this affair and bury it in her subconscious somehow mm-hmm. or in some sort of memories of things that she caught or noticed along the way, like a smell or, you know, something like that? And is did the fact that she knew this all along, is that going to play into this?
0: Well, actually, I so you brought up her father earlier. And so far, he's only had a couple of relatively short scenes where he doesn't have that much to do. But they brought in Donald. No, I don't. I have no idea what his name is. But I don't either. He, um, you know, they brought in Donald Sutherland to play this role. So I have to imagine he's going to have a bigger part to play at some point. And I wonder if he at some point is going to become a suspect.
1: Oh, interesting. Like,
0: he's the one who's so, like, clearly a very, very rich man who's very well-connected. He may have known something was going on. Yeah. And – I like that. mm.
1: It does feel too obvious to me at this point that, you know, we, we were saying the first episode was kind of setting us up to feel like Jonathan was sketchy. The second episode is also making us now feel that Grace is definitely sketchy. And I feel like it's almost a little too soon for all of that. We're, you know, we're right. two out of six episodes in. So, like, it it will be too straightforward to me if these are our only two suspects. And we've ruled out that at this point the boyfriend or the husband of Elena, I guess, that happened off camera. So maybe mm-hmm. we'll get more on that. But he's apparently, according to the NYPD, he's out as a suspect. So it really is at this point, according to the police, only Jonathan. And for us, the viewers, Jonathan and Grace are still in the running. So I really do like the idea that Donald Sutherland is going to play a larger role in this. I was thinking during this episode, maybe his role is going to be the parent. We'll get some sort of flashback with him having to institutionalize her or something. And then
0: Mm -hmm.
1: watching her sort of rehabilitate with this new life with Jonathan. And then he gets so angry that Jonathan squanders all of this. Because the other thing that we have to kind of talk about is why did Jonathan have this affair? We got a lot of information about Mm -hmm. it, but we don't really... According to Grace, they've never been better. Now, again, like that is something that people, when their spouses are having affairs, often report that, oh, yeah, it's better than ever. We've been great. He seems super engaged. But it could also be that this was sort of a relationship that got her out of whatever slump she was in, and then he squanders it because he's tired of whatever, and Donald Sutherland takes that really personally because it's jeopardizing her mental health, and he takes it into his own hands
0: yeah or or is he sort of a serial philanderer and we don't yeah. know that yet and this isn't really all that out of the ordinary for him you so know? Uh. yeah
2: we get the sense that grace is definitely fragile there's something there's a fragility mm-hmm. there um so and and I think that that's what I picked up on in that relationship with her father that he you know, he wants to try to protect her and that he, there's definitely something in the, in her past that, that is, we're going to learn about. Um, as far as Jonathan, yeah, I think he, this is probably a, not a, uh, one and done. So what I was still unclear about, so she is the only patient that the, that there, cause they said that there were three hearings. Mm. Was she just the tipping point one or were yeah. there others? I don't think
1: we know yet. I, okay. I think, To me, it sort of at first implied that there was multiple incidents, but then later I started thinking that, when you know, it was probably because Jonathan was protesting so vigorously that she was the one that ruined everything, that it was three incidents related to this. But we don't know for Mm -hmm. sure.
2: Yeah, although I also thought it was – fascinating that he chose to go to what Sylvia slash Renata yeah as oh, yeah. his lawyer weird choice that is a very bizarre choice and like you live
1: in New York that's really the only attorney you know like mm. no yeah
2: and that's not even the kind of law she practices right. she made that, that clear weird. she said like I'm not an employment I don't know anything about employment law really but um so that was sort of odd to me and uh also really made me question her as a character more because um you know she appears to have a pretty pretty good relationship with grace and I don't know I mean if somebody if my friend's husband came to me and wanted me to be their lawyer for something like that I know that you have like client confidentiality I I I would probably try to find a way to tip off my friend yeah (laughs) yeah
0: Yeah. The other I'm glad you bring her up because she also said something to something to Grace when they go to the diner. You know, she says the sooner you make it clear you're not involved, the better. Mm -hmm. Um, And and she does specifically say, like, if you do find out where he is, if you do hear from him, you have to call the police immediately. And my first thought was that Grace seemed a little hesitant to actually do that. And I wondered if it was because she is involved more than we know at this point. But then she she doesn't really waste much time to call the police on him at the yeah, end. Yeah,
2: I know. I thought the same thing. And then at the end when she grabs the cell phone right out mm-hmm. and gets on it. I Speaking of the women at the Reardon school, my yeah. favorite line in this episode was when that mother of the second grader who tries to get free therapy advice. It's our first school murder. murder. I
1: was like, what? I don't even... (laughs) That that whole scene felt straight out of Big Little Lies. Yes.
0: Well, thing I came... I I came away from, like, those school scenes, you know, because there are several. There's, like, the one where it's just, like, the paparazzi's out front waiting for Mm -hmm. anything to happen, and then there's the one where it seems like they know who Grace is. And I was like... You know, she really needs a Madeline Martha McKenzie in her corner for this because all these other chicks are just, like, immediately, like, bouncing on her. They want nothing to do with her.
1: Yeah. Just to go back for one second to Mm -hmm. the confrontation with Grace and Jonathan at the end. When she calls Mm -hmm. 911, there was something about the way the camera panned into her face and the sudden, like, composure that came over her when she was making that call. And she was saying, I'm so afraid. But it really – she delivered it with a very straight face, and the camera was really lingering on her. And that was Mm -hmm. another thing that kind of made me think, did she have something to do with this? And is she setting up her husband? like, Yeah. And the same with the interrogation room, like, when she was protesting so mm-hmm. vigorously and feigning this level of, like, ignorance and then the shock, it seemed almost like bad acting. Like, I almost reached a point where I'm like, Nicole Kidman is a better actress than this if this was a genuine shock reaction. It just seemed a little over the top and inauthentic. So I'm I'm wondering if there's that angle that we need to consider, too, that she is completely sane and is anxious because she has covered up this murder, but she at the same time knows exactly what she's doing and is playing the detective like a fiddle.
2: Well, I, I fingered her in the last episode as my crime suspect. I don't know what i You're say. worse than Elena. I pointed a finger, yeah, I pointed a finger <laughs> at her um, in the last, from the last episode that she's my prime suspect and at the end of this episode i still stand by that i will continue to finger grace <laughs>
0: <laughs> well so i um, to that point like um the therapy scene we get another glimpse of you know we, it's again this couple's therapy session where one man has cheated on the other and he says that he thinks he was oppressed by my good values as though like he was just sort of reacting to having been the good guy his whole life Mm -hmm. yeah and it made again why are they choosing us to show uh, why are they choosing to show us this therapy scene right and i i feel like this is still like a hint that grace has done something even if it's just having had some kind of a brief fling with elena or something you know that we don't know about yet
1: well then there's also that shot where she she zooms in on him gripping the back of his arm and mm -hmm. I I was another thing I wrote down I'm like is this happening or is she seeing what she wants to see here like I it just something about when it has that zoom effect from her perspective is just gives me a feeling of doubt Mm -hmm. that I don't trust that what I'm seeing is real
2: yeah I mean I wrote down this woman needs to call out of work no patient should be high (laughs) prices for her right now Um, yeah, that was my big takeaway because she just was so checked out during that, that one session we saw her in in this episode and the fact that she zoomed in on that he was, like, holding his arm from the back, and he had, it reminded me of their weird sex scene where he, you know, came at her, I, I don't know, something about it, like, I felt like maybe she was connecting some I don't know, but I was like, this bitch definitely should not be a practicing <laughs> therapist right now. Agreed. Um, she or maybe at all. Yeah, or probably at all, but, like, she should definitely just, uh, when the, her father says, you should go to the beach house, and she's like, I have patients. I was like, I wouldn't <laughs> worry about them.
0: Yeah. They're going to be calling real soon to cancel all their appointments. As soon as they find out your husband's murdering people.
2: Yeah. I I think that, um, this, this to me was, I, I found myself hoping that this is the last of the therapy sessions we see her leading, uh, the -hmm. next therapy sessions. I would like to see her in. So, (laughs) um, well, and while I'm really like, you know, attacking grace here there was that when when detective sexy was you know taking when they were executing the search warrant on her house and she Mm -hmm. says why are you taking his hairbrush that was like an eye roll to me until i realized that that was some sort of dialogue point just to facilitate facilitate getting out of him the paternity test thing Mm -hmm. but at the same time it really just makes her seem even more unhinged and fragile and You know, who asks that? Of course, you know why they're taking his hairbrush.
0: Yeah, you've seen CSI, just like everybody else. You you know why they need hairbrush. Yeah,
2: they're just getting his DNA, dumbass. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's all these little lines like that that I—it just makes me really question being able to have uh, accept her as a sympathetic character.
1: So in both of these episodes we've had is part of her like flashback montage that includes the gym and the auction committee meeting. We keep getting the shot of Elena sitting on a couch with this colorful blanket behind her breastfeeding mm-hmm. the baby and smiling. And I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't believe mm-hmm. we've seen that shot happen. And that seems to be the one consistent thing we keep getting shown. So I wonder if there's not some sort of confrontation that happens where... Uh, I almost called her Celeste where Grace figures out that the baby is Jonathan's and has some sort of confrontation with Elena like there's just that shot like we Mm -hmm. keep getting it and I don't think we've had any context for it
0: yeah because Miguel is in it right he's Mm -hmm. kind of snuggling up next to her yeah I didn't pick up on it the first time around but you're right like it's another thing that you're like how it almost feels like it's um, apart from her in a way because you're like how could she possibly know this unless again there was more of a relationship there than right. that we don't know about and that's why this fan-
1: fantasy flashback thing is going to be some become so critical for our analysis mm-hmm. of this show because it is either stuff that she's concocted or stuff that happened and it's the continuity for me that makes me think it's not concocted like the fact that she has these very discrete vignettes mm-hmm. that keep repeating but then again we do have the argument that she wasn't there when Miguel discovered her and yet that seems to be a repeating Wait. So I, I just
2: put something together. We oh. don't actually know whether or not I, we where we believe right now that the first time she meets Elena is at that auction meeting. Right.
1: right. But we don't know that for sure.
2: But I think that that's false because I just remembered something that like really kind of struck me as odd when she enters the, the house for the auction meeting. She comes in and there's a baby carriage at the doorway mm-hmm. and she gives it a look. She looks at it. And I remember thinking like, oh, is she judging that somebody brought a baby here?
1: Interesting. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but I now am thinking as you were talking, I put that together and that flash you were talking about when she would have seen her nursing the baby with Miguel there. And that led me to believe that she looks at that baby carriage because she recognizes it and knows that Elena is going to be there.
1: Yeah. Hmm. And that idea that when Jonathan tells her, like, she's obsessed with you, she got close to you, she did the auction committee because she's obsessed with you, like... Mm -hmm. her she wasn't having that visceral reaction that i would expect in that moment if your husband is telling you like yeah not only did i have an affair but this woman is now fully stalking you
0: yeah and it seems like but it seems like she could have put that together herself once she found out about the affair like why does this woman all of a sudden appearing in all these different facets of your life
2: well so that's why like that movie what lies beneath the whole (laughs) thing is that even though it takes this ghost telling her, basically the ghost mm-hmm. helps her understand that her husband had had this affair and that her husband was uh, basically responsible for the death of the woman he had the affair with. So it's the ghost of, I'm ruining the whole movie, but everyone should go watch it anyway. Uh, yeah, it's the point like 25 is, years old. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, but the point is, is that she... she realizes that she knew all along and that she had kind of like buried it underneath. In the movie, it's that she had had like a major car accident. So, you know, maybe she had forgotten some things, but there's uh, that really she had seen, she had walked in on her husband having an affair and heard voices. So I think that we are dealing with a similar thing here. I, I saw so many parallels with how this was being set up to that movie. And I thought this is, This is she she knew that her husband was having this affair and that she sought out Elena uh, on her own or, you know, that maybe Elena was obsessed with her. And, you know, but I, I think that she definitely knew and whether or not it's like something buried or something that, you know, that she was more conscious of.
0: Well, maybe she's just unnecessarily psychic like Bonnie's mom. And is just <laughs> like is a not. knows all of these things for no reason. I mean, she does dress like Stevie Nicks all the time. She could yeah. be a witch. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. She's a stylish Stevie Nicks though. Mm-hmm. Um Are
0: not
2: you that Stevie that Nicks. Stevie is,
0: Nicks isn't stylish.
2: I, well, I was gonna say it's Stevie Nicks, but like the Bergdorf Goodman version. Right. Yeah. right. yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh Fair. it's it's they're they're equally stylish, but of um, Of different of of different stores. Yeah,
0: Stevie Nicks definitely buys all of her clothes in Sedona, Arizona, from (laughs) like a lady who knits them on an alpaca farm. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) she's also probably comes up to about Nicole Kidman's belly button. Actually, that was one of the things I noticed in this episode a lot is how much taller she was than everybody she talked to she, she is so asking. tall yeah
2: yeah and i do i i feel like it's even more noticeable in this show uh mm-hmm. maybe it's because of all the upward angles they're using <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> to give
2: that very uh th- th- there's a certain camera perspective here that does make her appear even um, even more statuesque. I kept looking at that gorgeous coat she has, this like moss green coat she's yes. wearing in this episode. And I am five foot three. And I kept thinking like, wow, if I put that coat on, it would trail on the ground for like a foot behind me.
1: That yes. coat is so beautiful only on Nicole Kidman. No offense mm-hmm. to any of us, but if we all wore that, we would look like trolls. Like, yeah. Well, it's just for Nicole Kidman alone.
0: That that coat was my pick for Best Same. Outfit 1, because it's, Same. like, the only thing she wears for the entire episode. But also, like, it screams practical magic at me. Yeah. It's got yes. such practical magic vibes, which is another great movie. And Nicole mm-hmm. Kidman's in it, and you should definitely watch it. Yeah. Um, but so, okay, let's get to Nicole is in a really nice shower again and other David <sighs> Kelly-isms. Um, is there anything you guys picked up on this week that you... Uh, you felt like was a throwback to Big Little Lies?
1: I mean, the two big things for me were, again, like these drop-off pickup scenes kind of anchoring the episode. Like that Mm -hmm. does seem to be Mm -hmm. Kelly's kind of hallmark is this idea of coming and going and kids being deposited and then mothers having these sort of forced interactions where they exchange some words of gossip and then go on their merry way and the reverberations of those quick conversations go with them. And then also, of course, like outrageously... Unrealistic homes, like yeah. the homes the in the father's this. house. When she keeps referring to her house as an apartment, I'm like, I'm so sorry. You have like a multi-story structure in New York. That's not an apartment.
0: Legitimately confused when he was like, he's not at your apartment on 63rd Street. I was like, do they have an apartment on 63rd Street? Yeah, like where? Not an apartment. Because, no. Yeah, I was so It's a walk up. Like no.
1: So that – and then the, she's like, oh, we just have to retreat to the beach house, and the beach house is, like, a $5 million, like, beachfront yeah.
0: McMansion. Mm-hmm. I'm
1: like, yeah, relatable content, David E. Kelly.
0: Yeah. The, the – Donald Sutherland's apartment, the ceilings? I mean, that's not an apartment. That
1: was, again, a museum. Like, yeah, when they had that. that scene later in the museum, I was like, oh, is this, like, the bottom floor of his house? Like, oh I, my God. It's, it seems yeah. to his- track
2: his house is beautiful. I I love I love the aesthetic of his house. Uh for me something that took me back to a big little lies in a David E Kelly way was uh how detective sexy wait what is his mm. name?
1: Mendoza, but we're okay. calling him sexy from so, okay. now on.
2: Detective sexy kind of staring her down from a distance in a couple of yeah. scenes definitely reminded me of uh you know our pen clicking detective from big little lies. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Um you know that it it was that same that same vibe. I was getting that same energy. Um, and all the school stuff, you know, the our first school murder and reference to a benefit like oh it's because of what happened last night yeah yeah i mean if you if you close your eyes for a second you're back in big little lies
0: the her just like sitting and staring longingly at the sea too like yes. that was like <laughs> yeah. every episode of big little lies was nicole kidman standing on that gorgeous deck of theirs and staring out at the waves like he is he i I'd bet money there's not even a beach house in the book. He just wanted to, like, put her in, like, a (laughs) beach setting.
1: There was a lot of this episode that was giving me, like, real Celeste flashbacks. Like,
2: both Mm -hmm. in the
1: therapy scene when she's sitting, you know, again, on the other side of the couch, but staring that, like, focused view on the hand clutching and then the staring out of windows and the sort of, like, distracted apathy when the women are all gossiping and she's just sort of there and dissociating. I mean, that all reminded me very much of how she played Celeste in Big Little Lies. Yeah,
2: and this fragility that is coming out where it's like she is not a woman who has her life together. Yeah, for sure. And also, you know, when Jonathan popped out and grabbed her by the face, I was like, oh no, we're back to this. Yeah, (laughs) I know. like, oh, Nicole Kidman, we want so much more for you.
0: So the you know, there was basically this coat was her outfit for the entire episode. Um but there there was this thing that you probably no one but me noticed and you'd have to go back and watch it again to see, but um during the sort of second round of trip to and from school, like when the principal tells her she shouldn't come back later that day, when she's first walking with Henry, she has on the same scarf that she had on the day before. yes uh-huh. and and then after when she gets to the school and she's talking to the principal, she has on I think it's the scarf she found in okay, his... I
1: wrote that down. And I wanted to yeah. ask you guys that like do we think it's the scarf? I think it that is.
0: I think it's the scarf, but I'm also now I'm wondering, like, is it? Like, I thought it was just a wardrobe snafu. Like, someone wasn't paying attention and let her wear different scarves.
2: No, I thought it was the
1: scarf, but... There's just a shot of it around her neck, and you can very clearly see, because they spent a lot of time not only looking at the scarf in the first shot, but unfurling it, and it mm-hmm. was very obviously, like, that same cream color with, the like, red color blocking on the mm-hmm. sides, and it, it definitely the way they filmed it made me feel like we have to be paying attention to this and she is wearing the scarf and does that mean because I wasn't exactly sure is the scarf supposed to be Elena's or all of that was vague to me whether the perfume was hers why would he be carrying around her perfume that was very strange like it seems like it would be bizarre for him to keep a bottle of Elena's perfume in a bag Mm -hmm. in his coat pocket
0: also, like, who is she? Just carrying around her perfume? Like, right. why? Why would you even have access to it? That it's whole a weird scene
1: thing to do. made me question a lot of what we're supposed. Well, to Well, because she pulled it
2: out of what I thought was the coat he had been wearing from the night before, and uh, I, I don't know it. That did. I, that's a that's a big question mark area for me, but I. Definitely agree that she was wearing the scarf.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I definitely think she was wearing the scarf. But what I'm wondering now is because from the beginning of the walk to the end of the walk, the scarf changes. That sounds
2: like a continuity issue. That was just a continuity thing.
0: Okay, because because of what we're talking about with her sort of, you know, um, possible undoing, so to speak. Like, is there... Could this be like another clue some you you know what I mean? Like yeah, the change I was like that too. But that seems such a weird thing. Like one to assume people are gonna notice, you know? Yeah. Like, well but, the question has know. to be
1: asked, if if the scarf is not Elena's, what is the significance of the scarf?
0: Mm-hmm. Like
1: so was it something that she I mean, the timeline I'm also confused about, right? And I think this bear is talking about, like when all of this happened, because we don't really get in the first episode what a what grace is doing for that period of time after she leaves the auction before her husband comes home to bed right mm-hmm. so we've mm-hmm. gotten his account of it and we've heard what happens to elena but we don't know exactly what her whereabouts were were so did she go home did she change was the scarf something that she had on when she confronted elena
0: so were there any other outfits of note in this episode she wore that
2: monochromatic brown number to the museum mm-hmm. Which mm. struck me uh, something about it just had such a early 2000s vibe. Um, the, you know, I, I don't know, something about it was very uh, it, it felt it, it felt of that moment to me. but that was you know, again, another chic, very expensive looking outfit. but to me the fashion the fashion statement from this episode was that coat. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is like the third beautiful coat we've seen her wear in this show already. Two episodes in, and already she has three coats that uh, (laughs) if I could change to a different body, I would wear.
1: I feel like in this episode, he, David E. Kelly, was trying to use the costumes to say something about the characters so when the mothers were all in the drop-off fiasco Mm. the mother that asks about therapy that's kind of like the comic relief she's wearing this kind of pink bubbly frothy number the bitchy mother who you know makes a bunch of racial assumptions about elena's husband is wearing all black And then Sylvia, who kind of is the knight in shining armor this episode and whisks Grace away and gives her all this information, she wears white the whole time. So I feel like he was Mm -hmm. trying to, like, set you up just with easy cues as who's good, who's bad, and who's our comic relief here.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Um, So I think we got a lot of very rich things in this episode. But what was your choice? What was your top choice for rich people shit? Uh, (laughs) Rebecca, what?
1: I mean, it's got to be the apartments, quote unquote. Like there's just no way you can call either of those structures apartments, especially Donald Sutherland's like enormous cavernous museum of a home. Like unbelievable. Mm -hmm.
0: Carolyn, what about you? I,
2: I, I definitely think it was some of the stuff just at the school. Like this is our first school murder. And, (laughs) uh, and then the, uh, that mom who said that she thought he was the janitor, I mean, that's just like rich bitch shit <laughs> that that to mm-hmm. me was was for sure. Uh, and and then I guess, yeah, the homes and there was something else that I feel. Well, I mean, the, the beach house is, you know, what we can assume yeah. only can assume is like some house in the Hamptons. But her clothes, I mean, Nicole Kidman's clothes, I think I noticed it even more in this like her clothes just like that like brown monochromatic number that she's wearing at the museum Mm -hmm. I was like that skirt looks like it probably costs like 700 dollars it just that material everything it's there's a lushness to that all
0: there were like a there were a couple things in this episode where I was really like this is some ridiculous shit right here like one we see we get a glimpse of uh what's his name Henry's bedroom Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, and he's got this chair in the corner that's a full-on baseball mitt (laughs) it is just like it is so huge and so ridiculous and just like exactly the kind of thing like rich people buy their little boys you know and then when she when grace is poking around in jonathan's closet and there's this like led light that almost looks like a crack of sunshine or something coming out (laughs) from the back from the closet that just like and i was like I like I have curtains hanging on the door in front of my closet like this like <laughs> I like I can't <laughs> even fathom having like specific closet closet lighting it is so just ridiculous. I, I just can't even.
2: Well, that scene actually, when she his closet is in his office at their house, that mm-hmm. kind of made me think that they're not as rich as, say, like her father, because they clearly, unless she has just taken over the entire master closet for her beautiful, expensive wardrobe, but mm-hmm. his closet had to be in a second room. And that's like rich, but not like crazy rich.
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel like even having an office with a with a full closet fancy closet in it in New York City like just a spare room that you you can devote to this guy's who probably has an office at the hospital you know when he well, actually has a job he did. Maybe. So, yeah <laughs> right so I mean yeah I get it I get your point that they don't just have like two giant walk-in closets in their master bedroom but
2: right or just like such a massive walk-in closet that people could share it because mm-hmm. like think about it uh, Celestine... Like a Mariah
0: Carey walk-in. Well, yeah, and
2: like think <laughs> about Celestine Perry's house. They had that like giant closet they that they shared. Now, granted, it was in a house and not a, a a New York like a still a townhouse is still smaller than a Monterey mansion. So yes, you have to like dial back expectations with closet. But um, I I just thought it was funny because. I was like, oh, look, she's taken over the whole closet. They, mm-hmm.
0: Well, she has so many coats. That they have to be hung somewhere. Coats take
2: up a lot of space. Uh-huh. <laughs> they really do.
0: So who, I mean, I think we've already kind of covered this, but Rebecca, who's your prime suspect for the moment?
1: I mean, I know we've covered it, but I have a hard time answering it this week because Mm -hmm. I think the show in many ways wants us to still hold Jonathan and Grace as our two most likely candidates. But to your point, Teresa, I feel that Donald Sutherland is too big of a cast to be insignificant and just be the father. And Mm -hmm. I also think that miniseries are very intentional. You only get a certain amount of episodes, and every episode has got to count for something. And I do feel like we're a little early into this to have two clear-cut suspects. So either it's somebody we haven't met yet, or there's more to Elena's husband than meets the eye, or there's something going on with Donald Sutherland's character. I just don't feel like we've got the whole picture yet. And it's hard to answer that question this week because I think the show wants me to say Jonathan or Grace, but my gut is telling me that there's more to this than that.
0: Carolyn, what's it? are you still sticking with
2: Grace? I'm still sticking with Grace. I She mm-hmm. just does not sit well with me. And I agree that the Donald Sutherland character I think that he is going to be a big part of this, but I don't think uh I, I think he's gonna be a big part of the show meaning, but I don't think he's a big part of the crime.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't know
2: why, but I'm just I I still really think that he that that this is Grace. What about you, Teresa?
0: Well so <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I think I think it might be more convoluted than one or the other did it. You know what I mean? Like maybe she did something and he helped her cover it up or or, or, you know, he helped Jonathan cover it up or tried to apparently not very well. But um, but I also today like I did a little side googing um, and (laughs) they yeah. Googling. I I stole that from the um, true crime obsessed people. They're the ones who are always (laughs) Googling things.
1: Yeah, that's straight up awful.
0: Yeah. (laughs) But so they um, I did discover sort of by accident that apparently this is this is already like off the book like we've oh, already really? strayed from the book and that there cool. there isn't even a courtroom scene in the book oh, wow. so it feels like this is really going somewhere we might not expect for better or worse and wow. so yeah i think i think donald southern has a part to play did he commit the murder i don't know but i think i think there's more going on here than than we know
1: i'm really enjoying this so far i mean i think it's it's worth spending a few minutes saying like how we're feeling and i I was really looking forward to watching it yesterday, and by the time the episode ended, i if I had, had the option to watch another episode, I absolutely would have. Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: that's exactly what I was gonna say, that I'm glad that this is not a bingeable show. I mean, a show that I can't, it is a bingeable show as quality goes, but I like that I have to wait. Yeah,
0: yeah, I, I, I mean, I think I like that too, except that I almost forgot to watch this last night. <laughs> Like, i was uh, going the daylight to bed savings and-
1: messed me up i was like yeah. it's bedtime it's too late for this yeah i struggled oh i actually my had to rewatch part of it this morning because i was i remembered not as much as i needed to
2: yeah i fell victim to the you know oh it's dark out it must be midnight but it was like 6 p.m yeah um yeah so i had to watch the show this morning
0: yeah i i mean we go to bed early anyway just because we're old and brian has to get up so early but um so then you know i'm like ah shit i forgot to watch the show but then i just brought up the hbo max app on my ipad and put in my uh my earphones and just watched it in bed so that i wouldn't have to try and cram it in this morning um all right, so let's get to recommendations. Rebecca, what are your recommendations this week?
1: So my highbrow is the new-ish, I think it's been out for two weeks, Netflix show The Queen's Gambit with Anya mm. Taylor-Joy, who was a fantastic young actress. I first was exposed to her in The Witch, which is a fantastic, spooky movie. It's just great. I The acting's superb. The writing's even better. I was a, like, early chess enthusiast. Me and my first little rat-tailed boyfriend in first grade were (laughs) co-captains of the chess club and it was a magical time in my life. But I have since sort of let chess fall out of my life. And since watching Mm -hmm. this show, I have started playing chess again on chess.com and very much enjoying myself and enjoying the way the game makes my brain think in ways that it probably hasn't in years. But it's just a really moving, interesting show. She plays a chess prodigy that is also kind of just like a drug addict and an alcoholic and it's just. Fantastic. My lowbrow for this week would probably be this latest – and again, I don't know if this counts as lowbrow, but this last episode of SNL was pretty great. Uh, John Mulaney mm-hmm. hosted. A weekend Update was on fire. There's a fantastic – I mean, talk about laughter in the dark. Uh, just God help us. There's a great skit called Strollin' about black people voting and voter suppression that, like, dear God, tomorrow we better mm-hmm. all – be on the high alert for that but it was just a really all-around fantastic episode John Mulaney is a national treasure and I really enjoy seeing him on SNL and I wish he'd been a cast member and not just a writer because he's really
0: just fantastic Carolyn what do you what do you have this week
2: all right well since we uh just got through the Halloween season I have two kind of uh Halloween-ish related things um I uh just recently reread uh the witch of blackbird pond by elizabeth george
0: speer oh my gosh <laughs> i read that I, in like fifth grade what are you
2: right doing? <laughs> i don't know okay so I, through a chain of events like i ended up for the first time seeing the house that that book is based on in old weathersfield connecticut and uh it made me think of the book and i actually ordered it on Amazon for $6 and sat and read it in like basically one sitting. Um, Yes, it is for children, but you read it as an adult with a whole different set of eyes. I didn't remember it being like uh, basically a love triangle at all. Yeah. And yeah, I just I, I don't know. But it, it's a really it's an interesting book and an interesting look at feminism in in a time. And I know it's, you know, fictitious. It really is. Just don't laugh. Go reread it and you'll see. There's a reason that it's a classic.
0: was actually thinking about this like maybe a month ago. Like I looked it up online and was like, is this something I would want to reread? Because because like you, I don't remember a lot of it. All I remember about it is I I grew up across the river from Wethersfield, so it was right. like super local for me as a kid. And so um, I was like, oh, I should go back and try and reread that. But I I unlike you did not do it. Yeah, I did it, and I'm <laughs> highly recommending
2: you do it. Um, oh, okay. There it it is interesting because it is not. Uh, I, I wonder how historically accurate some of this could be for a female in that period in, you know, in the 1600s of a very uptight Puritan Connecticut colony, if, if a woman could act that way. So it's an interesting, uh, it's interesting, but it's, it's, it was a fun reread and I do recommend it. And it's kind of, if, if you're from Connecticut, it's, local and has a lot of connecticut history of that period um i didn't grow up in connecticut i grew up outside boston so our our witch trials were obviously all about salem but <laughs> um you know K- weathersfield actually the witch trials happened there uh before they did in salem mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: it predated salem so it's an interesting read and i it is actually very very well written uh, so that is my highbrow, as highbrow as a children's book of literature can be, but it's it it, it it is definitely worth a revisit. And then my lowbrow-ish one is again witch-related. I watched the remake of The Witches on
0: HBO Max with Anne. I watched Hathaway. that the other day too. That was it was cute.
2: And yeah, so Anne Hathaway, I had pretty much. I I had written her off. Like, I just... I kind of was over her. I've not really found her to be spectacular in a lot of things for a while. And uh, I thought she was spectacular in this movie. Because uh, she hits this, like, perfect... She toes this perfect line between campy and taking this seriously. And she is, at times, terrifying. But then, at other times, incredibly hilarious. And, um... Stanley Tucci is in it, and anything with Stanley Tucci is always mm-hmm. going to be great. That is true. Yeah, and then you have Octavia Spencer just being, you know, Octavia Spencer. So it, it's definitely worth the watch. It's fun, it's quirky, and it's super campy. And uh, Anne Hathaway's clothing in this, her glamorous witch at looks, are are pretty fierce. Um, so definitely watch
0: that um yeah i thought it was cute too i find anne hathaway un, ungodly annoying like she drives me up a wall but you'll
2: love her in this
0: yeah i'm telling you well no i've seen it i liked it i i did like it but she was sort of almost the low point for me but i did still like it despite her presence she just feels like the epitome of like the drama kid who needed all your attention in like it. high school she seems super annoying that's but... how i
2: normally feel about her but she won me she won some points for me with her ability to achieve some sort of level of camp in this movie yeah. that was appropriate mm-hmm.
1: the richest thing i've heard at all episode is that y'all have hbo max
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> well i only have hbo uh, because i i um you know i subscribed to hbo so we could do all these various podcasts and then one day it just became hbo max like if you had hbo now before which is what it was called before Uh which was like you don't have it through cable you have it just through the app like it just suddenly became hbo max
1: i'm a poor millennial so i bum it off my mom Shout out to yeah. my mom. Thanks for making this podcast possible for me. <laughs>
0: um, so I'm, I'm going to give you an HBO Max re- recommendation now, which I don't think you're going to be able to watch, Rebecca. Oh, shit. Um, <laughs> um, you have to invite
1: me over sometime and we'll watch it socially distant.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, when it gets warm again and we can all sit outside. So I guess this would be my, I'm going to call it my highbrow recommendation. Um, it's The Murders at White House Farm on, oh, which the is... The podcast you have me listening to is always talking about it, and I'm like, man, I'll never be able to listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, there is a, a companion podcast, apparently. I haven't oh, listened to it. Um But they... So... It's a story I knew of because I listened to all the murder podcasts and so I've, I have I think probably my favorite murderer covered this at some point and so now there's, there's also a book called The Murderers at White House Farm and then another book that it's, you know, this is based on and so basically the idea is the first episode, this basically like the grandparents, the mother and two little boys turn up dead and it's assumed that it's a murder suicide but um there's one dogged detective who thinks that is not the case he thinks that it was set up to look like the mother killed everybody and um it's got it's basically like a game of thrones reunion it's got robert baratheon it's got a what? Yeah, Theon Greyjoy, plus his sister, who he... Alfie Allen and
1: Lily Allen, you mean?
0: (laughs) Well, no. no. Alfie Allen and then... Oh, Yara Greyjoy? Greyjoy, Yeah, Yara Greyjoy. Oh, damn um and then uh, there might even be a couple others i'm forgetting about now like
1: reenactments
0: of it (laughs) yes they just they just every once every episode they just break out into some random game of thrones scene no of course come on but
2: (laughs) but this sounds
0: amazing oh and i don't know if anyone's ever seen have you have you guys seen snatch No. no no Oh, my God, that is a great movie and everybody should go watch it. So there's an extra recommendation for you, but there's a little guy from that that's also in this. And he's got a crazy Welsh accent that's, like, unintelligible for the entire thing. But unfortunately, it's only available through HBO Max, so you're going to have to, you know, figure oh, that out. Oh, I'm
2: excited for that. Yeah. Oh, have you guys watched American Murder, The Family Next Door?
0: Oh, God, yes. Oh, it was oh not my again. God. I have yeah. That was upsetting.
2: <laughs> the true crime aspect. Uh, just that was the last one of those that I, I binged.
0: Yeah, that one was really kind of upsetting in part because I found, you know, the mother so annoying. Yeah. And like, I know it doesn't matter. She can be as annoying as she wants to be and no one should kill her. But I was still just kind of like, oh, my God, you know, like... Get her out this of here. This is the Chris like,
1: Watts. We're talking about the Chris Watts murder. Yeah,
0: yes. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. He seems like a like. There's not much going on in there yeah. other than like, and just his account, like his confession. What'd yeah. you say? His confession videos. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, they're,
1: god, they're yeah. just haunting. He's just like casually describing the way he killed his children. It's just
0: really horrific. Yeah, yeah. that whole thing is really upsetting. So. On that note, my lowbrow recommendation is going to be Dawson's Creek, uh, which... <laughs> oh, my I... God.
2: Thank <laughs> okay, wait. You get to recommend Dawson's Creek, but when I recommend a book from that's about that mental level, I get made fun of?
0: <laughs> Go ahead. Make fun of me. I, I, I'm very well aware that recommending Dawson's Creek is insane. But I, um, you know, I just... You, I mean we all work from home now but I've always I've worked from home for like 10 years and sometimes I just need like when I'm doing something that I don't really want to be doing I will sit on the couch and put TV on as like a mental reward for doing the thing I don't want to do. And I've kind of sort of, I don't know, exhausted some of the things I usually like to rewatch, like the Gilmore Girls or um, Jane the Virgin and Grace and Frankie. Those are things I love to rewatch. All and, standards. They're all great. yes
2: mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And so the other day i was just flipping around on hulu which is a nightmare by the way hulu is like the worst streaming app that's ever existed i just
1: got rid of my hulu because it is garbage and the ads are garbage and it loads like 50 percent of the time no
0: i've been trying to watch the halloween episodes of bob's burgers for no less than three days and not (laughs) a single one will load like it is a nightmare but but it actually if you to the world out there if you pay for spotify you also get a free hulu subscription so um that's why we still have it but wow SpawnCon. yeah so um so i started watching dawson's creek because that was a show i used to get together with friends in high school and watch and despite the fact that they have eliminated the paula cole um theme song and it's now just some random song no one has ever heard what? of and no one yeah why it's, would
2: they do that
0: because i'm sure paula cole apparently won't give them the licensing rights anymore even though you'd think she would need the money but she does not apparently and so i was re-watching it and it is so i mean the language they use to speak to each other is ridiculous like these mm-hmm. are like the smartest kids you've ever seen in your life i mean there's like pacey from um, little fires everywhere is having an affair with his teacher who note back when I was in high school, there was a kid in our high school who was also alleged to be having an affair with a teacher whose what? name is also miss Jacobs, just like the Come teacher on. in Dawson's Creek. So uh, <laughs> wait, can we do like a mini episode about this? This, like juicy tea. <laughs> this is, yeah, I know we'll probably get sued, but there's nothing to sue us for. So I guess it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, But yeah, just like it's so dumb and like trying so hard to be smart and earnest and like have these like kids who are just punching way above their mental weight. And I don't care. I love it. It's ridiculous and I love it.
2: I have not watched Dawson's Creek since, you know, it was on. But now I kind of you sort of tempted me.
0: I I mean, you gotta see Jen like trying to overcome her past as the New York bad girl, and oh my like, gosh, and Joey's um, unmarried sister having her interracial baby, and everybody being just like scandalized by the whole thing. Not everybody, mm-hmm. just Jen's very old grandmother, who by the way has a down East Maine accent, not a Cape Cod accent, and it drives mm-hmm. the New Englander in me slightly insane. But but yeah, I highly recommend going out and rewatching that pile of hot trash. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, I guess we'll see you guys next week. Mm.
2: Thank you for listening to Big Little Podcast. If you enjoy our show, please consider becoming one of our valued podcast supporters at www.thebiglittlepodcast.com or just leave us a positive review on your favorite podcast platform. Can't get enough of us? Follow us on social media at Big Little Podcast for exclusive content in between new episodes.